I want to just start out by just kind of summarizing where we've been the last few weeks. Essentially, it comes down to this. In the book of Galatians, Paul is saying this. Jesus plus anything is nothing. And the gospel plus anything is no longer the gospel. That's essentially what the book of Galatians is about and the argument that Paul is bringing through that book. He's essentially saying that the gospel wasn't made up by men. It wasn't given to him. uh, It wasn't given to him by any men. And he'll restate that in the passage we're going to look at today. He's going to say this message came directly from God to me. And so he would say, I don't have any liberty to modify it, to change it, or to mold it. I have to just deliver it. That's my goal, is just to deliver the gospel that was given to me. And he's going to say, too, if, if in fact we do change it, we mold it, uh, we lose the gospel. And essentially, we're on the outside now looking in. We no longer have any truth or the truth of the gospel. But in our text this weekend, Paul is going to show us that his gospel was no different than the gospel of the pillars of the early church. The pillars of the early church that he's going to mention in our passage is Peter, James, and John. We'll talk about them in a moment. But he's going to say Peter, James, and John were teaching the same gospel that he was, that he was teaching. So let's look at that passage, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first ten verses. If you're looking at your chair Bible, it's page 890. I would encourage you to bring a Bible or to use your phone or your um, tablet, whatever you have. But I'm going to start reading at verse 1 of Galatians chapter 2. Again, page 890 in your chair Bible. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there... I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. The leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as an apostle to the Jews also worked through me, as an apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor 
which I have always been eager to do. So let's just look at this passage for a minute or two. So, uh, what was taking place in the early church? Well, false teachers, Paul said, had been going around, and as I said last weekend, Paul had it was in a, would go and plant churches. He would go on missionary journeys, and he would plant a church in different communities, and we're talking about the region of Galatia. Uh, and he would plant churches, but what was happening was some were, were, were joining or being, becoming part of that church, and they were, tr- they were tweaking the gospel message. They were changing it. And they were adding things like you have to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but you also have to be baptized. Or you have to believe in Jesus or you, and you have to keep the law. And so they were adding to the gospel. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 15, you can write these verses down because I don't think I was going to say I don't think they're in your notes. There's nothing in your notes now, I remembered now. Um, but anyways, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 and 5. Because at the Jerusalem Council, you see exactly what they were adding. It, he tells you. Um, while Paul and Barnabas, this is Acts 15, 1, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then you go down to verse 5. Some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and be required to follow the laws of Moses. So essentially what Paul is saying is, I brought Titus with me who was a Gentile and wasn't circumcised, and I brought him on purpose because I wanted a test case. That he was one of my team and he was a follower of Jesus Christ and he hadn't been circumcised. And the question was, Paul was wondering, are you as the pillars of the church going to require Titus to be circumcised, to be part of the church? Are you going to do that? So he was a test case. And essentially, in our text, as we read our text, it was clear they weren't going to do that. So that's what's taking place. These false teachers were telling believers they needed to believe Jesus and be circumcised and follow the law of Moses, okay? And they were adding to the gospel. They were adding to Jesus. And the same is true today. Churches routinely add to the gospel today. You see it all the time. I I, I see it all the time. Um, They say things like, and there are churches in town, in this community, and every other community across America, that say this. You need to believe in Jesus and you need to be water baptized. The deal's not done until you're dumped. Right, or you need to believe in Jesus to become and become a member of our church to be saved, or you need. You know, and there are people that have come to hope and say, "I want to become a member. I want to become a member." And I go, "Why?" And essentially because they have a belief that somehow that's going. You know, one day they're going to stand before God. And he's going to, they're going to say, "I'm a member of Hope Church," and God's going to say, "Well, why don't you say so? You're in." You know, I mean, sorry, membership doesn't have those privileges in heaven. Uh, or you say you need to believe in Jesus and you need to speak in tongues because that's just what happens to be saved. Or you need to believe in Jesus and live a certain lifestyle. You need to, to live like us. What was the purpose of the law in the first place? Why did God give the law in the first place? For us, the purpose of every law in the Bible was to get us to see that we can't possibly keep it. That we need, uh, that, that if, if you can't possibly keep the law perfectly, 
you'll never do it. No matter how hard you try, no how hard you work, you'll never do it. You can't meet the, pot, the, the, the requirements of the law. And that's why Jesus came. Because only Jesus can perfectly keep the law for you. And that's what He did. Jesus came and kept the whole law for you perfectly. Look at what it says in Colossians. This would be one of those verses where I would have it underlined or I'd have it marked somewhere in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. There's a couple of phrases here. Because it tells about where we used to be before Jesus and then where we are after Christ, A.D., when we, when we put our trust in Jesus. In verse 21, he says, You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now He has reconciled you to Himself. How? Through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He has brought you to His own presence. And notice what happens now. Now, today. You are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. How many of you feel that way in Jesus? That you're holy and blameless without a single fault because it never depended upon you in the first place. It's always depended upon Christ and what He did by keeping the law perfectly for you. And yet many people, when I ask them, how do you feel You know, God is... Uh, you know. Relating to you, well, I don't think he's happy with me. I think that I've made him angry or I'm, you know, I did this and now he's punishing me or something. And I get that. I hear that and I understand what they're saying, but that, I don't find that in Scripture. What I find in Scripture that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you call upon Jesus, you're believing in Jesus, you are faultless and without blame. Without a single fault. Now here's the real danger. If you add anything to Jesus to try to be good enough, try to be clean enough, try to be acceptable enough before God, you've destroyed your freedom and you've become a slave. And essentially that's what Paul's going to say. He's saying the minute you, you add anything to the gospel, you've just lost your freedom and you've just become a slave. Now, I said last weekend that I would talk a little bit about whether Peter was the first pope. And I think this passage has something to say about that. Um, because remember, you know, when you, are, uh, when you read through the Bible, you need to make sure that whatever view you get, whatever doctrine you get, is, can fit within the rest of Scripture. That one doesn't contradict another. And so you have to take all that Scripture says. But I think this is an important passage about that. Notice what he calls James, Peter, and John. He calls them... The pillars of the church. What do we know about the early leadership of the church? Well, we know a few things specifically, and we know a couple from this passage. Number one, the leadership of the early church was shared. It was shared. Peter took the gospel primarily to the Jews, and Paul, as we'll see in their passage, was called by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. James, as we know, if you read through Acts 15, he was the leader of the church of Jerusalem. So you have Peter, James, and John. You have Paul. So you have four of them. And Paul sees himself as a co-worker with them. There's no, there's no pecking order here. There's no, I'm in charge, no, I'm in charge. It, it, it's, and we're going to see next weekend where Peter and Paul go at it. Actually, Paul's going to take Peter to task. 
So I think that there's a strong case here that the leadership was shared according to their giftings and their callings. God called Peter to one ministry. He called James to a ministry. He called Paul to a different ministry. Second thing about the leadership of the early church, the, early, the leaders of the early church were flawed. They were just men. And Peter was clearly letting this know. He's not saying things that are demeaning to these leaders, James, Peter, and John. He's not demeaning them. He, you know, because he makes this, you know, he makes that statement, and it's in parentheses in some translations. You know, uh, essentially, he's not putting them down. That's not the point here. What he's saying is, he's saying that he didn't go there so that they could give him their approval. Because after all, he said, my gospel came from God to me. What was he doing? He was going to meet with them to make sure that they were on the same page. They were preaching the same gospel. And he was, he was hoping that he wouldn't get there and find they were teaching a different gospel than he was teaching. What did he find? He found they were teaching the exact same gospel that he was teaching. He found that they weren't adding to the gospel just like he wasn't. And that's why he says, they didn't add anything to what I was teaching. In other words, he's saying they were teaching the same things I was teaching. They were not teaching a different gospel. Um, they had all agreed on the gospel, Jesus plus nothing. Now, Paul respected these men, but he was also willing to challenge them. And then, like I said, next weekend we're going to pick up that passage. You just read a few verses down after 10. Pick that up, 11 through 15 or so, you'll see Peter and Paul, Peter, Paul's going to take Peter to task. Um, and we'll look at that next weekend. Um, Paul's essentially saying that uh, these men were just men. They were called by God. And Peter said, or Paul said very often, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And essentially what Paul is saying, even I am going to make mistakes and I'm going to you know, do, but when I'm, when my ministry lines up with that of Christ, then you, you, you follow me. Now, if you add anything to the gospel, you're going to find only bondage. And I want to talk about that just for a minute, because I think there's three areas where you go into bondage if you add anything to the gospel. And we find that in our text uh, this weekend. Number one, you can find that it's easy to drift into spiritual bondage. Notice what verse 4 says. Yet because of, the false, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Do you notice what Paul called them? He calls them false brothers. They thought they were brothers, but they weren't. If you add anything to the gospel, you are no longer a brother. You're on the outside looking in because you just traded the gospel over to you traded it over you just lost the truth and many people possibly the majority of people think the gospel is this you give your life to jesus and and that's the gospel of our culture it's it's become very commonly said that it's trusting in jesus plus or trusting in jesus and it's always plus or it's always and and I was thinking about this. Why do people embrace this view? I mean, it's, it, wouldn't it be easier just to say it's just Jesus? Jesus alone and only Jesus? Why would, it, why would I want to add anything to it? Well, I think 
in the human heart, there's an, a desire for us to be in control of our destiny. We like to feel like we've earned it, that we're willing to work hard, to believe all the right things, to live a good life, to say to God in the end, look at all I've done. You know, um, it's almost like what people are doing is they're working on their own resume just in case. I believe in Jesus, but I better have a good resume just in case. So they say, I go to church. I love my wife of 20, 30 years, my husband. I love my kids. I sacrifice. I give. I serve. You know, we do all those things. I'm better than most people. And, you know, they're working on this resume of righteousness. And I just want to say to you that if you're working on a resume that you're going to hand in it, the gate of heaven, would you just do me a favor right now mentally? We just take it like this and just kind of tear it up because essentially it's about worth what the paper it's written on is worth, which isn't much, and I won't make too much of a mess with it. But that, that's essentially what you need to do if you're doing that. But, you know, here's the point. A lot of people are doing exactly that because all you have to do is say, if you were to die today, would you go be with God in heaven? They'd say, I hope so, okay? If you were to stand before God and He were at the gate of heaven and say, why would I let you in? You immediately, most people that you would come across, whether it's in the mall or ball field or wherever it is, they would say, well, I'm this, I'm this, I do this, I work hard. And what are they doing? They're reciting off their resume. This is a very common belief. And it was very common in Paul's day, but Paul is saying it can't be that. You can't add to the Gospel. And therein lies the problem. The Gospel isn't about what you are doing. It's only about what Jesus has done for you. Please, if you hear nothing else, hear that truth. That's the Gospel. The Gospel isn't about what you're doing or what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done when He said on the cross, it is is finished. Go back to Colossians, the verse we just read. It says that because of Him, because of His bodily death for you, you are now, you are now what? Forgiven. Perfect. Without fault. In other words, your acceptance depends on your performance. That's what many people hear. Um, You may even be here and you say, well, I've accepted Jesus because of what I've accepted. uh, uh, I I know I'm accepted because of what Jesus has done for me. But functionally, you're still trying to win His favor. And so I ask you a question. Just think about this. Is God angry with you tonight? Is He disappointed with you if you feel that way or you tend to feel that way? Um, Probably it reveals your functional view of the Gospel. Are you accepted because of your behavior? Are you pleasing to God because of your behavior and not because of your behavior? Um, Is it possible that God could reject you because of your behavior? That's your functional view of the Gospel. Here's the second thing that we learn from this passage. You can easily fall into psychological bondage. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I think we're always in danger of adding to the Gospel. For for example... um, if I were to ask you, and you know, happiness is one of those things that's kind of hard to measure, isn't it? You know, when life goes well, we're happy. When life doesn't go well, we're not happy. But essentially, 
you know, what does it mean to live a happy life? What is our perception of a happy life? Well, for many people, they say, uh, well, the, the gospel message says, if you trust Christ, he will provide for you joy, happiness, whatever, you, whatever it is, purpose, meaning, all those different things. But, but we say, oh, yeah, I believe that up here. I believe that. I truly believe that Christ gives me everything that I need. But we often add to it because we don't believe in our hearts. Some of us don't. And, it, you know, different times of life you go through different periods. But there, most of the time uh, we don't feel that way. But sometimes we feel like Jesus alone is not enough for me. For instance, you may be here and you would say, I know Jesus loves me and I know that I'm significant because of who He is and I'm secure because of who He is. And uh, But here's the thing. I feel like my whole satisfaction in life would go up a whole bunch if I had Jesus plus. Well, for instance, if I had Jesus plus a happy, loving family. If I had Jesus plus that, then... I would be satisfied. Or, if I could have Jesus plus a loving spouse, then I would be happy. I just need that that loving spouse that 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 will you know pop off the tank. Jesus is like three quarters full, but if I get that loving spouse, boom, there it is, 100 percent and 110 percent. I'm I'm flowing over. Or uh, if I could have Jesus plus a good paying and fulfilling job, then I would be happy, right? Or uh, well, you know, you get the idea. But here's the problem with this view, and this is really in a major point that I want you to hear. If you allow anything other than Jesus to be your ultimate source of happiness, security, or significance, it will become a tyrannical slave master and a prison cell for your soul. Because this, these slave masters are harsh. So let me ask you a question. What is it in your life that you must have to be happy, to be safe, to be fulfilled, to be significant? What is it that you have to have plus Jesus? And if you have that, then you've arrived, but you don't have it. But you have a picture of what that is. And one day you're going to get that, or you have a picture that if you could have it, you would be fulfilled, satisfied, happy, whatever you want to call it. But you believe in Jesus, but you need that extra part. What is it? Because that is ultimately your gospel. And these slaves are de- demanding and harsh, these slave masters. They promise you the moon, but they put you in a prison cell. In the end, you're nothing but a slave in bondage to your unmet desires. Because you know what? Even the, if you meet the perfect person and you marry them, they'll, you'll find out very quickly they're not the perfect person. And even if you get the children or the family that you desire to get you'll realize that your kids are little brats. And no, you, no, your kids are all wonderful, except, you know. But you get my point. No matter what you do, you'll find that it doesn't... And that's what the slave master does, is if you had this then, and all of a sudden you get it and you go, no, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I love what Jesus says about this. You see, Jesus basically says, all you need is me. And if you go for one of these slave masters, you will put yourself back into a prison cell. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, verse 28. He said, Come to me, all of you who are weak, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What's Jesus saying? Would you trust me? Would you trust me to be enough for your life? See, when you add to the Gospel, it doesn't mean you just believe false doctrine. You can functionally move into that mode. And you could say, well, I believe the Gospel, but I also believe that I'd be happier if, if this, if that. Jesus and this. Jesus and that. Here's the last thing I want to mention. You can easily fall into cultural bondage. Paul went up to Jerusalem, as I said, not to get the approval of the pillars of the church, but to make sure they were on the same page in relation to the gospel. And what he found out is they were. Verse 5 says, We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. What's Paul saying there? He's saying their message was identical to what we were preaching. They didn't add anything. They didn't ask me to add anything. They didn't ask Titus to be to be uh, circumcised. Now, if Peter, James, and John had not been willing to take a stand for the Gospel, they would, there would have been two Gospels. There would have been one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. And the church would have been split right down the middle. Instead, there was one Gospel. And it's interesting that he says there was one Gospel. We all agreed on the same Gospel. But we agreed that we had different ministries. Paul became a minister to the Gentile world. Peter became a minister to the Jewish world. Now, there was overlap, but primarily that was their mission. So the Gospel was the same, but their mission, each of their individual missions, was different. The Gospel is distorted, though, within many churches today. They teach you need to believe in Jesus and you need to follow our rules, or you know, and usually the rules we used to have, we used to have titles for the rules. They used to be the nasty nine or the dirty dozen. And they usually included things like how you dressed, and drinking, and smoking, and playing cards, and going to movies. And they would they would have there was different lists for different churches, or you had to have the right version of the Bible, and you had to dress a certain way. You um, had to get baptized. You had to speak in tongues. Now, I want to tell you a story. We'll close with this. So, when I was a college student, one Sunday night, I decided I was going to visit a church. It was a rather large church um, in the south side of uh, Chicago. And they would send buses all over. And so I said, well... I went with a few friends, and I think Carol went with me on that. And uh, we were both students, and we jumped on the bus, and we rode down to, and that was an interesting ride, but I don't have time to go into that. But we got down to the church, and um, immediately we were interrogated by some young men who wanted to know what version of the Bible we had. And at that point, we had the New American Standard and not the King James Version, which was kind of not a good thing to know. Well, it would have been nice to know that beforehand because I had a King James that I could have easily brought but didn't know that. So we went into the service and we sat down and the pastor got up and preached a good gospel message. 
and uh, gave an invitation. For those of you that don't know what an invitation is, uh, it was a call for people to come forward and to pray to receive Christ as Savior, which I thought was good. And I thought, great, this is great that they're sharing the gospel and asking people to do that. And um, partway through, a mother, her child got a little fidgety and fussy, and she got up to take the baby out. And then there's probably 1,200 people or so in the room. And he said, sit down. No one leaves while I give an invitation. And I thought, I don't think that's right that you should do that. And I'm more troubled now than I've, and I felt troubled a lot. But I said, but, and there was people that came forward and, um, and they took the people that came forward and they took them off stage. I said, good, they're going to sit down with them and explain the gospel and get clarity and things along those lines. That's good. I think that needs to be done. And I think they started playing another hymn or something, and we started singing a little bit. And then the song was over, and we sat down, and the lights went on above. It was really probably about that high above the stage. And they uh, opened up the curtains, and they were doing a baptism that night. And I thought, whoa, they do the baptism right away. I mean, right away. And so these people that came forward were being baptized one by one. And I thought, I don't know what I think about that. (laughs) I had some reservations about a lot of things. but So um, there was one young man that was probably in his 20s, early 20s, and he had really long hair. And anyone in that church that was a regular attender who was a man had white walls. Now, if you don't know what white walls are, um, that's where you take the clippers and you shave around the ears so there's no possibility there's any hair that's going to be on your ears or above your collar. He did not have that haircut. And he came through last, and he no longer had long hair. He got shaved, and I I said, I don't feel safe here. I'm in a Bible college at that point, and I'm thinking, this is weird, some weird stuff here. But essentially, what this came down to was, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but, and, this. And I got on the bus, and I left that place, and I said, I'll never want to go back to this church because I feel like it was a prison. And I don't want to be an inmate because Christ has set me free. And there's a lot of Christians today. The cell door has been opened. They have been summoned to come out of the cell and to live in their freedom. And they're cowering in their cell because they have a warden, pastor, Who's telling them, you're still a slave. You're still a slave. And Paul went up to the pillars of the church and said, you can't take the gospel 
and add to it. Because the day you do that, you've just made prisoners. And that's why he says that to us. Because this is a lie that's being told all over America, in this town. And a lot of your friends and people you love have heard this and believe it. They believe. All they have to do is believe in Jesus and do something else. And Paul is basically saying, there's only one gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's the gospel and nothing. And if you add anything to Jesus, you lose a Savior. You lose your freedom. And if you add anything to the gospel, you have nothing. So may God help us understand the gospel as it was preached 2,000 plus years ago and as it has to be preached today. And may the message that the gospel we're preaching be the same as the one that was preached by Paul and the pillars of the church in the early church. That it's Jesus plus nothing. It's the gospel and nothing. And may God help us to find the freedom that only Jesus can give so that when He says, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. May God help us to experience that freedom and that rest that only Jesus can give. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And Father, uh, this is such a serious and such an important passage of Scripture because it's being perverted by the enemy today. And people are adding to the Gospel and adding to Jesus left and right. And it's almost going off as though it's undetected pray that we would hear Paul's message in a fresh new way today, that we would understand and live in the freedom that only Christ can give, that we would not go back into bondage, but that we would allow the rest that Jesus gives us to sink deep into our souls and to find the freedom that only He can offer. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.